Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. Last week I was at dinner with a friend, and he was talking about his job. And he was talking about the fact that, you know, it was a good job, but it wasn't necessarily his favorite job. And he actually said, you know, it's not what I love to do, but it's something to do. He said, it's not what I love to do, but, you know, it's something to do. And maybe you've had that thought about your current job or a job that you've had at some point in the past. And I realize for some of you in the room, you would love to have a job. You've tried to find a job. You're out of work right now. And so, man, you're you're busting the pavement trying to, you're, you're trying to find a job, can't find one. And so for me to even say that, it offends you. I know others of you, you're working several jobs you don't like. You're working two, three, four jobs just to make ends meet, just to pay the bills. And so the idea that anybody would be upset about their job or not love their job, man, that that offends you. But I think there is a prevailing idea around this idea that a lot of us at some time or another have worked a job we didn't love and some of us have then pursued other jobs. Now, that's that's not a bad thing. It's not a sinful thing by any stretch. But as I was doing a little research about jobs, I was thinking about the ways that we approach jobs, I came across some of these statistics. The average person born in the latter years of the baby boom, so 1957 to 1964, the latter stages of the baby boom, those people from 1957 to 1964 that were born had held 11.7 jobs from age 18 to 48. Just in those 30 years of employment, they held 11.7 jobs or, or hold those jobs. And so like I was thinking about it, I know some people that like they worked the same job from the time they were like 18, 19, 20 years old till they retired. So that means that there are other people that helped that statistic that have worked like 23 jobs during that same amount of time. And so when I think about baby boomers, I actually think baby boomers are pretty loyal people. But if they were swapping jobs 11.7 times in those 30 years from 18 to 48, I was thinking like, what are, what are millennials? What, what, are they, what is their job status and the way that they switch jobs? 91% of millennials, those born between 1977 and 1997, expect to stay in a job for less than three years, according to a recent survey. 91% of millennials expect to stay in a job less than three years. That would mean that they would have between 15 and 20 jobs in their employable years. And so then I was looking at another statistic from the U.S. Department of Labor Statistics, and they say that the average worker today stays at each of his or her jobs for 4.4 years. The average worker today stays at their job for 4.4 years, and the youngest of our workforce today is about half that. They stay at their jobs about two years. And again, I get that, you know, sometimes we're in jobs that we don't love, and so we're looking for new work. We're looking for a new passion. We're looking for something that excites us. I get that sometimes we've learned new skills or we've continued in education. And so we've been working a job maybe while we finished our degree and then we're able to find a job in our area of passion or area of education. I get sometimes we're just burned out or or we just don't love what we've been doing for a number of years and so we're looking for something else. And again, none of this is sinful. It just, it's funny to me to think about, and I've worked a bunch of different jobs. It's funny to me to think about that prevailing idea that we just kind of switch jobs whenever we get bored of it or whenever we don't like it anymore or whenever we feel like there's something else that would excite us other than losing a job through no fault of our own or somebody kind of forcing us out. We just sometimes switch jobs because we're looking for something better, looking for something different. 
And so as I come to the end of this series of sermons that we've been in this summer, these things we wish Jesus didn't say, I find a job that Jesus gave to those that are his followers. Uh, This is often called the Great Commission. It's spelled out a couple of different places in the Gospels, those four books that really categorize all of the life and ministry of Jesus on earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's spelled out a couple of different places. But today we're going to focus our attention on the book of Matthew chapter 28. So this is a famous passage of scripture, but if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along with us. If you don't have a Bible and your neighbor does, steal theirs. Um, I was just trying to see if you were with me today. If you got a, a phone or a smart device, feel free to follow along there. Most of the scriptures will be up on the screen today. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start reading in verse 18. And we're going to look at this job that Jesus gave to his followers at the end of his life. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18 and reading down to verse 20. This is what it says. Then Jesus came to them, talking about his disciples. This is after Jesus died and was resurrected from the grave. He came to his disciples and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's really important. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, you have four components to this passage of Scripture here. There's three verses, but you have four main ideas. The first big idea, the start of this kind of sandwich here, the the first piece of this is he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, all of the authority in heaven and on earth I have. And now what am I going to do with that authority? I am going to charge you with that authority to go out to all of the nations, all of the world, and make disciples. And so as you're making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, third part, I want you to teach them all that I have commanded you. I want you with your mouth to tell them how to do it. I want you with your life to model for them how to do it. I want you to teach them how to do everything that I've commanded you to do. And then the ending of this sandwich, the last part of this that brings it all together, is he says, and I will be with you everywhere you go, even to the end of the age. So I have all authority. I have everything I need to charge you with this. Go and make disciples. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I'm going to be with you in the process as you make disciples. And so as I read through this, I read this great commission. What I see here is I see a strategy for evangelism. Now, when I was growing up, evangelism was a word that was used a lot. It's not often used in church much anymore. But evangelism really means one of two things as it relates to the Christian faith. It means to preach the Christian gospel, or it means to convert to the Christian faith. And so this idea of evangelism is when someone who is a believer in the tenets of Christian faith proclaims those tenets of Christian faith in an attempt to help someone outside of the Christian faith come into faith in Christ. And so that's what evangelism is. And when I see this passage of Scripture, I see this incredible outline to understand that Jesus gave us the authority to live out the strategy. He gave us the strategy, and then he promised us that he would go with us as we're living that out. That's important to me. And so I see this strategy of evangelism. The problem is that in this world, there's such this pluralistic idea of truth, this politically correct culture that we live, 
there's, there's no absolute truth. Everything seems to be a universal truth. I, I don't care really what you believe as long as you don't care what I believe. And I can believe what I want to believe and let you believe what you want to believe and live how you want to live as long as you let me live how I want to live. And so everybody's just fine kind of keeping everybody to themselves until you try to convert me, until you try to teach me about Christianity if I am not a Christian. There seems to be this offense that rises up in our culture. And so we're like, man, I don't, I don't think I could evangelize. I don't think that I'm comfortable doing that because in this culture, in this world, I don't think other people would be receptive to that, except that we do it all the time about other things, right? I am an evangelist for Mac computers and Apple devices. For about the last 10 years, I got an amen over here. That's the most noise I've had all service so far. For about 10 years or so, man, I have been a Mac proponent uh, 10, 12 years, I've had Mac laptops, computers, uh, Apple iPhones and iPods, and I, I love them. I, I think like you, if your life needs to be centered around Apple, not eating apples. I don't really like the taste or the texture, but like Apple devices, because I believe that it helps, it helps simplify everything in my life. I love the way everything's connected and the simplicity of the device. I love it. My, I, my five-year-old little daughter now, when she was like 18 months, could navigate an iPhone. It's very, very simple. I evangelize Apple devices. Now, I have some Android friends that they also, they evangelize me towards this Android world. They are trying to convert me to this Android world. And so they're attempting to help convert me to something that I am not living out myself. I mean, have you ever been to a restaurant that like you just loved, the experience was great, the food was great, like you just loved the restaurant. How many of us tell our friends, oh, you need to go try this restaurant. You need to go eat at this place. Like anybody ever done that? If you have not told me that, then we are not friends because I love to eat at really good restaurants. And if you haven't told me about a good restaurant, like just get out of the church now. Like I'm not friends, I'm just kidding. But we evangelize about our favorite restaurants and our favorite movies and our favorite television shows and Everything that we love, if we really, really love it, if it's really impacted our lives, man, we, we evangelize. We, there's some people in our church right now, like right now, today, they are evangelists for Pokemon Go. <laughs> in that regard, I am still yet an unbeliever, but they really want me to be a part of this world of Pokemon Go and go to Pokestops and get Pokeballs and chase Pokemons. Or I, I don't really even understand all the things that are involved in that, but man, they love it and they live it and they, they just tell me about it. And I do the same with my vacation destinations. Like I find out, where'd you go on vacation? They tell me, oh, the next time, if you're looking for a place, you need to go visit this place because we went and it was awesome and our kids love. We evangelize everything in our lives, don't we? And yet we come to this place where it relates to our faith and we just don't feel like we have permission to evangelize. We, we don't feel like it's appropriate to talk about our faith and the way that it impacts our heart and the way that it impacts the way that we live. And so we will evangelize all of these other things, but we'll leave this part of our lives, which we say we are centered on or growing more and more to be centered on, but we leave that to the outside. I'm not really going to talk about this. I'm just going to kind of be what I do on Sundays for like an hour, and I'm not really going to talk about it. And I think that we've missed our job. I think we've missed what Christ was calling us to because we're afraid of how it will be perceived. There's a new study that's recently been done by uh, LifeWay Research and by the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College um, to several thousand unchurched people in North America. 
And they asked them questions about how they, as unchurched people, received conversation and interactions with people that were churched, and primarily through their friends and family and coworkers, people that they knew, not just random strangers, but how do you receive information? How do you listen to them? What, how do you respond when people of faith, people involved in church, talk to you, someone who is unchurched? And, and, and I know we think like they're just like, no, don't talk to me about it. I don't want to hear that. And I know there's this idea that that's what's going on. But here's what Scott McConnell, the executive director of Lifeway Research, said. He said, unchurched people are not being overwhelmed by Christians talking about their faith. If faith is important to you, then your friends will be interested in hearing about it. Let me show you this. 79%, almost 8 out of 10, unchurched people in America said that if a friend of mine really values their faith, I don't mind talking to them about it. 8 out of 10 unchurched people say that they do not mind talking to their churched friends about their faith if it's something that's really important to their friend. And I know sometimes, again, we feel like they don't want to hear about it anymore, and we feel like probably if we've talked about it once or twice around the water cooler or something bad happened to a coworker and we said, hey, I'll be praying for you, like that's enough and we, we, we don't need to bring it up again for like six more months or whatever. Here's what our unchurched friends are saying about us as it relates to the amount that we talk about our faith. Seven out of ten disagree that their Christian friends talk about their faith too much. Surveying several thousand unchurched people in North America, seven out of ten unchurched say that their Christian friends don't talk about their faith too much. They are not like, just when you start talking about faith, they're like, oh, here she goes again. Here he goes again. No, they're actually like, oh, that's a novel idea. I don't think I've heard them talk about this very much at least on the average, you're talking about 42% strongly disagree that Christians are talking about their faith too much, and 31% somewhat disagree. 73% are saying, no, 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 my Christian, my churched friends are not talking about their faith too much. You know, we talked about in the announcement segment just a few minutes ago, we talked about next week going to three services, and we talked about bringing your friends, and that's really the reason that we're starting a third service uh, over the last few weeks and months, we've, we've been watching as the two services that we have, they fill up. And so when you come into a service, maybe not on this specific day or other specific days that you've come, but we have little room for guests to come in and people to come in and find seats, especially families together. Over the last few weeks in our 11 o'clock service, we've been over 90% capa- full capacity. So when families come in, they can't sit together. They can't come in. And if you went to a movie or you went to a restaurant and they said, yeah, okay, you two can sit over here, but the children have to sit over here or the other adults have to sit up. Well, maybe if your kids had to sit somewhere else, I don't know, maybe you'd be okay with that. (laughs) But you wouldn't stay there. And we don't want people to experience that at our church. And so we've opened up a third service, 830, 10, and 1130, to create more room for more people to come and experience God in this place. And so that's what it's about. And we want you to invite people to come and be a part of that. And this same study talked about personal invitation as the way people that are unchurched would respond to coming to church. They, they asked, hey, if, if somebody invited you to church, or if you saw a postcard, or if you saw a mailer, or if you saw a Facebook ad, or how would you come to church? And this was half says a personal invitation from a friend or a neighbor from the church would be effective. Talking about inviting people. If, if you want to bring somebody that you know to church, they say that the most effective way, 51% of unchurched people say, I would come, or the most effective way to get me there is through the invitation of a friend or family member that I have. That's what these invite cards that they referenced earlier are all about. You can pick those up at the end of service today. This is not for you to leave today at lunch in place of a tip. Please do not do that. 
Please don't take these and just drop those down. These have no monetary value. They can't cash this in for like 15% of the check or anything like, please don't do that because our name's on this. We don't want it to represent us poorly. What this is, is for you to use this as the start of a conversation with a friend. It's just a way for you to take this and start a conversation with a coworker. To start a conversation with somebody in your school or somebody in your neighborhood. This is just a way for you to start a conversation. And so it's just a, it's just a resource. It's just a tool. Maybe you don't use this. Maybe you use something else. Maybe you use something going on in their life to actively listen and then respond in kind. Because you're trying to figure out what it is that they're looking for in their life. Because unchurched people are looking for the same kinds of things. Maybe not the exact same thing that you are looking for. When they asked during this, this survey, they asked all the things that people were looking for. Researchers asked these unchurched Americans about the biggest questions in life, and seven out of ten unchurched people agreed that there was an ultimate plan and purpose for every person. Seven out of ten agreed that there was a, a personal plan and an ultimate purpose for every individual person. And six out of ten said it's important for them to find their deeper purpose in life. I believe with all of my heart, you may not share this sentiment, I believe with all of my heart that that deeper purpose, that sense of belonging, that desire to understand why I'm here and what I was created for can be found in relationship with God and in community in the local church. And so what we want to do is provide you with tools to help you invite people to come and be a part of this church. Now here's the problem in the church. The problem in the church is if you believe statistics... A readily quoted uh, statistic among church people is that only 3% of Christians have the gift of evangelism. 3% of people in the church claim to have the gift of evangelism. There's a couple things wrong with that. One, the gift of evangelism is never mentioned in the Bible. There is no gift of evangelism. There are gifts throughout the Bible, but there is no gift of evangelism. It's not like some people that are just naturally extroverted and naturally conversant with people they have the gift of evangelism and other people don't, so they're excused from evangelizing. I've heard it said that we all love evangelism as long as somebody else does it, right? There is no 3% that have the gift of evangelism, and so they're on the hook to do evangelism. 100% of Christ followers are on the hook to live out and do evangelism because we are all called through Matthew 28 and other places in the Gospels to go into the world and make disciples, to teach people, to proclaim the good news of the gospel message. We are all called to go and to live it out and to teach what we have been given. I don't know if you've read the news recently or seen the headline about the fact that just a few weeks ago, Russia enacted a new law. They enacted a new law that you cannot evangelize outside of the walls of the church anymore. You can try to convert people inside of the church, but you can no longer try to convert someone to faith outside of the walls of church. And I heard someone say last week as they were quoting that statistic, they said that the first thought that they had when they heard that headline, they heard that news story, was, man, what if that happened in America, I don't think it would change much. Because very few of us are actively trying to engage non-believers and evangelize them, helping to preach and proclaim the good news of the gospel. We'll tell them where we ate for dinner and that they need to go to the same vacation spot and what device is changing our life. But we keep inside of us the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our hearts and our lives. And then I come to Matthew chapter 5. 
14 through 16. Matthew chapter 5 is a part of Jesus' famous first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And he challenges all of us about the way that we should respond and live when we've been given the light of Christ into our lives. And this is what he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You don't, you don't light a lamp and then put a bowl over top of it. You don't light a candle and then cover it up so that it can't give off the light that it was created for. No, what do you do? You set it out so that it can shine light into the darkness of that home or that room. And so we, too, are the light of the world, and we are called to shine the light of Jesus Christ into the darkness of the world. Now, out of that passage, we read at the very end, it said, uh, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, that, that part of the passage is often a, a, a part of Scripture that's connected to a quote by St. Francis of Assisi that says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I've heard it. I've preached it until I found out that he didn't actually say it, Right? That's a really good quote. It's a really good idea. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Like, let my actions preach the gospel, except he didn't say it. Now, this one passage in Matthew 5 does tell me that my actions, the way that I let my light shine through my deeds, can cause others to see that and glorify God. But we are also commanded through the Psalms to proclaim the good deeds of God, to proclaim the goodness and the greatness of God. God. We can't just walk around hoping people see the way that we live. We too are called to speak with our mouths the good news of God. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, which is another place that's connected to this great commission, says this, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There is a preaching aspect, and preaching is not something that I do because I stand on a stage. It's something we all do as we proclaim the gospel good news that's going on in our lives. We are commanded to make disciples and to teach those that are around us about what God has done and is doing in our lives. And we want to all live that out. We want to live that out in our jobs. We want to live that out in our homes and in our neighborhoods. We want to live that out in our schools. You know, tomorrow starts a new school year for many of our students here in this area and we're going to invite the children in. I think there's some folks in the lobby that are going to help us bring them in in just a minute. These are our grade school age kids in both of our services today. We wanted to invite them in to pray over them as the school year starts. And they're going to come in in just a minute. They're going to come just sit right down here in front. So in a moment when they come in, don't, don't be freaked out. They'll wave at you if they're your kid. My daughter waved at me during the first service. That's okay. But these are our grade school kids. They're going to come in because we want to pray over them as they, who we believe possess the light of God in their lives, can live out in the places of darkness in this world that, that where, where darkness exists, we want their light to shine in their classrooms and in the schools. Because that's what we believe Christian faith is about, that it's not something just to hold in. It's also something to declare with our lives and with our words. Here at our church, you've heard our mission and vision every single week you've been here, even if today's your first day. We've talked about the fact that we exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those who are disconnected from Christ. And we believe that there's four components of that, four values that we hold as a church 
for us in the way that we live out that Christ-centered life. The first of those is loving God. Loving God corporately is about the worship experience. It's about what we're doing this morning. Understanding that God loves us and responding back to him, our love and reflecting that love back to him. It can also be lived out personally as you participate in the spiritual disciplines, which is reading the Bible and prayer and fasting and other things where you're just receiving the love of God and responding to him. The second of those values is making friends. That's really about community. It's about life groups and small groups and doing life together over God's word and finding community and friends with other people other than just, hey, how you doing? Really understanding that we're doing life together, we're helping one another, sharpening one another towards this Christ-centered life. The third value that we hold is serving others. Serving others is really about service. And we know that you can serve in a lot of ways, you can serve in a lot of places in the community, but what we believe is through the local church, that's finding a place to use your passions and gifts to serve in the local church. And so that's why we always make available these serving opportunities through the local church so that you can use those gifts to help people find life in Christ and find community in the local church. And the fourth of those values is sharing your story. Sharing your story is about evangelism. It is about making sure that you take what God is doing or has done in you and utilizing that for the people in your lives who need to know that truth. And so we say that every person has a Jesus story. And if you don't have a Jesus story, you're a Jesus story in the making. These are the four values that we hold. And what they really do for us is they give us the the commands towards that Christ-centered life. We're helping people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. It's loving God, making friends, serving others, and sharing the story. And, And it really is about us utilizing everything that's been given to us for the sake of others. When we talk about evangelism, we have a strategy. It's really about share and invite. It's sharing your Jesus story and inviting people to church. And you may have opportunity to pray a prayer and lead someone to salvation on your own at your job or in your home or somewhere else. But we also understand that sometimes you're just planting the seed or you're just watering a seed that was previously planted. And as a part of that, some of that may be inviting them into an environment like this where they can hear the gospel message and respond. And we would love to have you sharing your story to those you know and inviting people into environments like this because we believe it's what we've been called to do in our schools, on our jobs, in our homes. We have to live out the message of the gospel. We must share our faith. We must let them see our good deeds and glorify the Father, and we must preach the gospel. You know, a quote that's attributed to Martin Luther King Jr., and I think it's true, is that darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Well, whether or not that quote of Martin Luther King is true, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 6 say this. The God of this age, talking about the enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts and give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I'm going to ask Pastor Trevor to come and help me here as we conclude before we pray. You know, we live in a world right now that seems to be filled with darkness. It seems to be all around us. It seems to be so prevalent everywhere you turn, everywhere you look. Every news cycle, every headline in your news app on your phone or your device, it seems like everywhere we turn, there is darkness. 
And I know if you're anything like me, you try to figure out, like, what do I do with the darkness? Like, what do I do to try to get rid of the darkness that exists in the world? Like, I want to get rid of it, so I want to pour it out. I want to try to get rid of the darkness as quickly as I can, as effectively as I can. I want to try to get rid of that darkness. But you and I, on our own, can't get rid of darkness. We can't do anything to take that darkness away. So I think what we've been called to do as we evangelize is to take the light that has been given to us. And instead of trying to take darkness to drive out darkness, let's take our light and let's take that light and let's try to just pour it into the darkness as much as we possibly can. Let's take as much light as you have, as much light as I have, and let's pour it into the darkness. Let's go into our schools and declare the goodness of God. Let's go into our neighborhoods and proclaim the message of the gospel. Let's go into our homes for those in our families that are unbelievers and they're living in darkness right now. And instead of trying to remove the darkness from their lives ourselves, let's take that darkness and let's combat it by shining the light, by loving them in the way that God loved us, by giving them compassion even when they don't seem to deserve it. Let's take as much of the light as we can possess in ourselves and let's shine it into the dark places of our community. Kids, when you go back to school tomorrow, when you see people that are doing things that are ugly, they're doing things that aren't nice in your classrooms, you don't have to be the one that always tells on them necessarily. What you can do is just be good. Just do good. Help your teachers. Help your friends to understand that you are light in a dark place. You are the one that is trying to proclaim truth because Jesus gives us truth if you and I join together. Kids, students, parents, singles, empty nesters, retired folks, if you and I would all join together and say, you know what, I can't take away the darkness of the world. There's nothing that I can do to pour out all the darkness that exists in the world. I can't take away all the crime. I can't take away all the sin. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to proclaim light everywhere that I see darkness. I think what we would find is that the atmosphere changes. Everything that is around us begins to look like the light of God, the salvation of God that comes from him. You and I are not called to change darkness. We're called to shine light. We're called to share our Jesus story. We're called to invite people into environments where they can hear about the love and the acceptance and the grace and the mercy of God. And so here's what I believe about all of us. This is not a job that you get to change every two years. This isn't a job that you get to do 11 different things between 18 and 48. This isn't a job you get to check out of because you don't feel like you're gifted enough to accomplish it. This is a job that 100% of Christ followers are called to do, to be light in the darkness. I believe that is the Great Commission. I wish he didn't say it because it makes us uncomfortable. I wish he didn't say it because I'm not sure I'm the most gifted person to do it. But he did say it. So now we have to live it out. So students, these are the kids, some of our grade schoolers, others were a part of our first service. I'm going to ask you guys to stand right where you're at. And if you're a middle school, high school, or college student in this room, anywhere else, I'm going to ask you to come to the front as well. And if you are a teacher you're a part of the faculty or administration at any of our schools or a part of the, the central offices, I'm going to ask you to come to the front as well if you would do that. Come to the front because we want to pray over you. We know that, man, we have some great schools in this area. We have some great teachers. We know that there are believers a part of all these different school systems. But what we want to do is we want to pray that you together in your classroom, in your school, on your sports team, 
in your office, wherever it is that you work, that you would shine your light. I get that there's laws. I get there's things you can say and can't say and can do and can't do at certain times. But we're going to pray and ask God to help your life to be a light that shines in the darkness. I'm going to ask you if you're still in the room just to stand with me. And if you feel comfortable, just kind of stretch your hands this way. It's just kind of saying, hey, I can't be close enough to make contact, but I want to join in prayer over these kids and these teachers and and faculty folks. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for every one of these young people. God, I pray right now from our beginning preschoolers and kindergartners all the way up through our fifth graders in elementary school. I pray now for our sixth through eighth graders in middle school. I pray for our ninth through twelfth graders in high school. I pray for our college students. God, I pray right now that you would help them to live out the light in places of darkness in their school. That, God, you would help them to reflect you. It's not just about good moral behavior, but it's about reflecting your character in their classrooms and in their efforts in school. God, I pray for our teachers. God, those students that are going to walk into their classrooms tomorrow, they don't know all the things that those kids are facing at home or outside of school. God, let them be a light. Let their lives shine before these students. God, for those in administration and other faculty positions, we pray that you would help them to shine their light into the dark places of our school systems, God. Help them to just lead well, God. We thank you that you live in them. And because of that, God, you can help change the atmospheres where darkness is trying to rule in. We know that there are things, there are forces trying to fight against our schools and fight against our families, fight against the next generation. So God, right now, we just pray a hedge of protection around them. God, we pray that you would protect them and keep them and help them to live in such a way that it honors you, God, and it changes our community because of these students and these teachers in our local schools and the families that they represent. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Here's what we're gonna do, okay? If you're a, a elementary school, if a grade schooler, you came in, with, uh, with our kids workers just a few minutes ago. In just a second, we're going to send you out. But before we do, I want you to help me pray for everybody else in the room, okay? Today, we've been talking about living out our lives and letting our light shine. And so I want you to pray for your moms and dads. I want you to pray for the other people in this room that on their jobs and in their homes and in this community, they also would be that light shining in the darkness, all right? So I want you to help me pray. Let's all pray together for one another. God, I pray for the people in this room right now. God, I thank you that we can respond to you. God, I pray right now for every person in this room. We've been talking a lot to Jesus followers today. And if there are people in this room that are not in relationship with you, God, right now, I pray that you would draw them unto you in salvation. We, We believe that that's what your word commands us and tells us that you do. And so God, right now, if they say, hey, you know, I'm not in a relationship with Christ, I pray that they would acknowledge that. And God, we believe that you respond immediately to them and that God, you forgive their sins and you become the Lord and savior of their lives. And God, now I pray for every other person in this room that maybe is a Jesus follower. Lord, help us to understand that we have a job to do, a calling on our lives. That this is not a 3% that have the gift or have, there's not none of that. Lord, this is 100% of us all in together to live out the great commission, to live out the command that you gave us to shine light into the darkness, to make disciples, to teach people what we've been taught. And God, you promise us that you have authority over everything on earth. And you also promise us that you'll go with us as we attempt to live this out. And so God, we ask you to help us to do that with our lives. Help us to invite a bunch of folks and fill up this place three times next week. And God, we pray that for other churches in this area because we're four other churches. God, that you would fill up those churches as well. And people that are unbelievers would come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you're doing in our community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we put our hands together today and thank God? 
Hey, kids, before you go out and middle school, high school, college students, before you go find your seat, I want you to know this about your church. We love you. We're proud of you. You always have a place here. And you don't have to wait to contribute. You contribute so much to us right now. And we're proud of you. And we believe that there's no limit to what God can do in and through you, okay? You guys can go out with your workers and middle school, high school, college folks. You can grab a seat. Let's worship with the band as we conclude today. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.